If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only Daphne Zuniga. <laughs> Where's your sound effects? Like I want to hear a, like a stadium screaming. <laughs> I need to have people behind me like, you know, saying yay and welcome yeah. and you know, what's going on? Now you're, you're in LA too, right? Aren't you in yeah, LA today? I'm in LA. Mm-hmm. We're yeah, both but I'm here. leaving town this week, so I wanted to want to get you guys get you in before I left, and then you know who knows July and all that. July and August, like let's not even get into it, you know. Yeah. Well, I am dating myself now because you know the beginning of your career when you look back to like Vision Quest and the Sure Thing, like I I was there for these movies. I mean, do you have like vivid memories of that time, like the 80s, the mid 80s, when you were just kind of first starting out in this business? Yeah, um, you know, it's funny. I had the 80s felt like literally a few years ago up until like the early 2000s. <laughs> like it just felt so recent because and unless you see something from the outside, like as an era or a decade and you see those like cultural markers that, oh, wow, we don't wear, you know, day glow anymore. And the, the, you know, the bangles aren't a band anymore or whatever, or um, things like that. Like, I don't, I just kind of like keep going like a year after year after year happens. And it felt really not that far ago, but uh I would have to say in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, it's definitely felt, wow, especially with uh, today, like, you know, social media and stuff, we didn't, because you didn't have it back then, like the things that I experienced, the people that I knew in the business, I know that's maybe what you want to talk about too, but it's like, wow, that was a long time ago. Like a lot of the, these people that I work with that I'm working with such younger people, well, everyone feels younger. Um, they don't have certain things that I have as like memory markers, you know? Um, so far as like specific memories, they come and go, like someone will say something or ask me and I'll go, Oh my God, that's right. You know, like I just did a, um, a little reunion with the cast of a movie I did in the eighties, right in the middle of the eighties, I think 85 or 86 called, it was called modern girls. And they did, they screened it at a local theater, uh, Quentin Tarantino's theater. Um, I think it's called the new Beverly with Valley girl, which was a huge hit back then. Yeah. I, think I even auditioned for Valley girl, but that was like Nick cage. And um, so they screened those two and it was a full audience. So I had memories that were shaken by that, you know, and seeing my Virginia Madsen and Cynthia Gibb again and Anita Rosenberg, the writer. So that was so cool because I was like, oh, yeah, I did live through this. This kind of like that era really, um, you know, informed me in this business in my 20s, you know. Do you have, you know, cause like for me, my first memory of you, like as you know, in the professional business was the sure thing, but like, is that what, like, was there one project that kind of like quote unquote changed your life or like set you on this course to have like this lifelong career as an actress in the business and broke you out? Well, the sure thing was one for sure, because well, it was early on. I think it was my first year working, you know, with an agent and I went in to read for the, I, first of all, I read the script and I was just couldn't put it down. And I thought it was so funny and so smart. And I just thought, wow, this is going to be a fun career. Everything's going to be like this, you know, where it was, it was 
just had, I just went through it. I felt so sort of, um, I, I related to Allison, <laughs> sorry to say <laughs> her sort of, um, you know, control issues and I, she likes things orderly. And then I went and I auditioned with, um, John Cusack and Rob Reiner, of course. So that, because I got that, uh, Rob told Mel Brooks, which came shortly after was Spaceball. So that I think led to Spaceballs, me getting in the room to meet him on that. Um, and then I know that like Henry Winkler was one of the producers of the sure thing with, um, you know, Alan Horn, Roger Burbaum were the producers on it. And so, uh, I just remember after that, like people would come into my sphere and circle and I would after that movie. So it was a small movie, but for me, um, it sort of led to other, um, interactions, relationships in film, for sure. What was the experience of Spaceballs like, you know, working with Mel Brooks? Because I know, you know, for that, you know, for so many people, that movie is like so classic. It's such a cult following Princess Vespa. Like that is, I imagine, what a lot of people want to talk to you about. Well, yeah, I mean, I had no idea it was going to last this long. And that's what I go and do these signings for mostly are um, Spaceballs. And uh you know, when you're shooting it, you just have no clue, especially when you're on a show like that with Mel, he was, it was all encompassing. Cause it's like a big budget for 1986. Did we shoot it? Seven, six, I think, um, you know, down on MGM lot in Culver city, it was the last film that was filmed there as MGM. Then they sold it to Lorimar and now it's Sony, but it's right there mm. in Culver City. And we were shooting on the sound stages that they did the Wizard of Oz in. And they did like all these Esther Williams movies, like the the floor would open up to make swimming pools for all those Esther Williams, sort of maybe Busby Berkeley. I don't know. But um there's a lot of history, Hollywood history to shooting that. And it was big, you know, and the cast was big. And it was Mel Brooks. And so um, it's just the experience itself. And, and things took longer to film back then because there was more money and they would, even though Mel, uh, I remembered recently, Mel would say, we he's under budget and we were under schedule. But I had a schedule and he reminded us of that often, I think, <laughs> which is amazing because it's not easy to be under budget and ahead of schedule on a, on a shoot like that, you know, especially with how many takes he likes to do a lot. <laughs> it's almost impossible. Well, it landed you on the mass singer recently. How much fun was that? Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> I know that's so funny. They did space night. I was a great, it was a call out of the blue and it um, filmed pretty quickly and um, it was really just something fun, just light and fun. And I was in the, you know, mystery too. Like, you don't know who the winner is. And I had seen the show a couple of times and then I watched more of them and it was just fun and musical, which I love both. So uh, yeah, I mean, never did I think I'd be on stage with like Nick Cannon and, you know, uh, Jenny McCarthy and all, and all those people in front of me. Um, Robin Thicke, you know, I knew him from back in the day. We did some charities together with his dad, Alan Thicke, and we were in Hawaii together. And he was just a kid, just starting to sing, like sing, you, popping down at the piano. And I'm like, you're pretty good, kid. Like, <laughs> you, know you might go on to do something one day, right? Yeah, you might. Like, wow. No, I was really, we were all really impressed. Like, wow. <laughs> Are you a but, good singer? Like, do you do, no, do you think? No. Same I here. Remember, no. Um, Early on, I had an audition for a musical for a, it was a play in LA, but they said, this is part sings, but not well. And I auditioned for it. And this is way back before anything. And I remember the director or the music director said, came, came out in the hall with me afterwards and was like, you know, you have real potential, but I'd like to give you some singing lessons. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I don't think I have potential. And I think you just want to give me, I didn't, I just said, well, I just won't do musicals. That's easier. <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I cannot sing either. Yeah. What I mean, about, yeah. 
Well, I mean, I was going to say, so, you know, you were this, you know, quote unquote movie actress, you were acting in movies, you know, in the, you know, the mid to late eighties and into the early nineties, you know, and TV wasn't what it is today. I mean, now you have, you know, the biggest, you know, movie stars in the world are doing TV and TV is what it is. So when you first got approached, I know you went to college with Darren Starr, he was your roommate, but like when you first got approached from Melrose in 1992, like, did you have hesitations? Did you not want to do TV or was it just like, Hey, this is a job. Um, I no, I did not, not want to do it. I was because there wasn't crossover back then. I was a little like, should I not want to do it? But when it came down to it, I was like to act every day. I get to go to work every single day because even if you do movie, like how many movies can you do a year? I mean, realistically, how many movies was I going to be able to do a year? You know, not every day. And I just love doing it so much that I thought, my God, if I get to clock in and clock out acting, that's the thing that won me over. And that made me just go. And, and it was Darren too, you know, working with a, I'll be working with a friend. Um, and that I just love being on set. So that wasn't really a hard um, decision for me. I think there was a bit of a head trip about it because there wasn't crossover. Um you know, people either did film or you did TV, like it was that or that big screen or the little screen. Um, and again, this is for the people that don't remember those days. Those were, that was a thing. Um, but, uh, you know, I just remember thinking like people might think or say, oh, you're doing TV now as if it were like below. And I thought, that changed pretty quickly because I got to buy a house <laughs> and I got to go to work every day and act. I mean, I was just like, this is a no brainer. I thought it was like a secret that like, God, if everyone knew this, you know what I mean? Like if all my film peers um, could really get how great this was, they'd all be in on it. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority and I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. What do you guys use for your hair? I use Lola V. You know, the award-winning hair care line founded by the one, the only Miss Jennifer Aniston. Lola V is as iconic as Jennifer is. I love Lola V not only because it works, but because of the ingredients. They're naturally derived. They're plant-based. There's no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten. And of course, they're cruelty-free and vegan. My daily go-to is the restorative shampoo and conditioner. I use that every single day. But they also have post-shower glossing detangler, a lightweight hair oil, and so much more. Unlock Jennifer Aniston approved hair at lolav.com. As our loyal listeners, you'll get an exclusive 15% off with your entire order when you use code VELVET at checkout. That's 15% off your order at L-O-L-A-V-I-E.com with promo code VELVET. Please note you can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After your purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. You guys, Valentine's Day is right around the corner and I have to tell you the perfect gift for your loved one or your date this Valentine's Day is the Via High Love 
gummy. Look, the high love gummy, it's kind of like the best of both worlds. It pairs aphrodisiac herbs with, listen, a mild amount of THC. It just, it kind of like awakens your senses. It increases your blood flow. And look, for those dates, it certainly intensifies any sexual experience. I also love that Baya has an array of other gummies with or without THC. So if THC isn't for you, you could still take advantage of their CBD line with products designed for sleep, focus, and energy. Vaya has something for everyone. They legally ship in all 50 states with very discreet packaging directly to your door. So let the gummies work their magic. So head to viahemp.com and use the code VELVET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their Sleepy Dreams gummies, 21 and over. That's V-I-I-A-Hemp.com and use code VELVET at checkout. Take your passion and your pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. I need to tell you guys about Academy, a new scripted podcast that follows Ava Richards, played by my holla of Leave the World Behind and HBO's Industry. Now, there's no one who watches Housewives who's not going to love Academy. Academy is about a brilliant scholarship student who has to quickly adapt to her newfound eat or be eaten world. Ava's ambitions take hold and her small town values break in hopes of becoming the first scholarship student to make the list. Bishop Gray's all coveted academic top 10 curated by the headmaster himself. After realizing she has no chance of making the list on her own, she reluctantly accepts an invitation to a secret underground society that pulls the strings on campus life and academic success. If she bends to their will, she'll have everything she's ever dreamed of, but at what cost? Academy takes you into the world of a cutthroat private school where power, money, and sex collide in a game of life and death. Follow Academy on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Academy early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, and now look where we are. So see- You were just ahead of your time. (laughs) Was there a buzz about Mel? Because, you know, that first season in Melrose Place, I know you came in like a few episodes in, but really, you know, it wasn't a hit show. I mean, Darren Star wasn't Darren Star. Yes, it was Aaron Spelling, but, you know, it had some challenges in the beginning. Like, but was there a buzz about it because it was a spinoff of 90210? Were you like, wow, I'm not just going on a show like this could potentially be a big show? Or was it just like here's a job and I know Darren and sure. Yeah. That's so that's what I went in with. Like I get to go to work every day and who are these new people and this crew and I knew Darren, um, but he wasn't on set. You know, he was um, at the offices, Aaron Spelling's offices and with the writers. Um, and because we worked every day. So I came in, I think halfway through the first year. And then, so I had the rest of the uh, episodes to go. And we were just, you know, I think uh, our producer Chip would come in and read us the numbers, you know, that I don't know if they were the Nielsen numbers or whatever variety said. And so we kind of knew it wasn't, it was, wasn't doing that great. It was fine or whatever, but it was on Fox. And back then you only had the three networks, the three big ones. And then Fox was a new one. And um, it basically did sports and it did um, married with children. I remember going to like conventions or whatever meetings or the TCAs or whatever with that cast. It was kind of like the beginning of Fox, but what happened was um, the next season we were working so hard and we didn't realize it, but it started to pick up, you know? And then of course Heather came in, but it even started before that. What happened? I think the real turn was and people started watching it was when they turned Michael Mancini, Thomas's character into just like this horrible person. And then people start to tune in because it was like that, you know, that real dramatic, like a uh, villain stuff. Uh, so that, and as smart producers and writers, they went with it. It may not have been what they initially decided, but hello, like life happens and you respond. <laughs> and so then they brought Heather in to be even more of a villain. And then it just, and so, but we, what I was going to say is that we were working so hard. We were doing 22, 22 minimum. Some years we would do double ups. We did up to 34 episodes a year. Wow. So you know, now you're doing streamers like what, six, eight, 10 episodes, even regular network does 22, but 
but we did so many episodes that you literally are waking up five in the morning, you're driving to set and dark, you're going home when it's dark, you're just learning your lines, you're shooting, you're shooting around LA, going to, you know, the locations. I mean, sometimes we would get lost and go to the wrong location because we were shooting two episodes at once. It was so, um, just sucked you in that it wasn't until, uh, you know, they start to act, you know, MTV came to the set and then we start to do magazine covers. And then we were like, holy crap, this is like a hit, isn't it? So it kind of surprised us. Was it so it was like that, like, over, right? Because I do think a lot of people attribute it to Heather. I do think you're right, though. Like, I mean, I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, I think when Michael Mancini kind of was went from being, you know, you thought there was all these happily married couples and you're like, wait a second, there isn't. And then, yeah, Heather kind of just. I mean, I thought that Heather, Heather definitely, you know, came in and the numbers, everyone wanted to see Heather and was very curious and like, oh my God, this, you know, hot babe, we all love Heather. But what I'm saying is the show, the tone of the show changed when they changed Michael. And then then they brought in Heather and then they brought in, you know, Laura to play Sydney. And then there was Marsha Cross. And so you had all these villains that, and that became kind of the, the go-to dependable drama, right. On the show. And then like just the, that and everybody sleeping with everybody else. <laughs> yes. And yes. Is this true that Allison Parker was originally based on you from going to college? That's what Darren with... told me. Yeah. That yeah. is the narrative that's out there. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that's what he told me, um, a long time ago. Um, so, uh, but then he, when he, when he called me to, to tell me about it, you know, bringing in this other character, Joe, she's like this new girl from New York and she's tough and she rides a motorcycle. And I was like, Ooh, that's what I want to play. Cause I don't know how to play like me, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a character of me that was, but, um, but yeah, all writers pull from what they know, right? And and Darren lived in we so we lived together in an apart, apartment off a block off of uh UCLA where we went to school. And then I think he lived in another apartment building too and I think he kind of combined those together. Did you have another roommate Meg Ryan at one point or is that a folklore? Meg was a housemate for um yes, she was. Um so, well, I guess it was the late, the end of the eighties, because we lived together, we rented a house and then she went off and bought a house and then I bought a house. So maybe 90, 1990 or something, something like that. I don't remember. Yeah. And she's, she's a good friend. Such a Hollywood story. Well, I mean, you know who, I mean, I want, who are the roommates these days? I mean, you have to live with somebody. <laughs> and then everyone gets a show. Who's your or roommate? I live all by myself, just me. I am single. I live between here in New York and the Hamptons, yeah, which makes me sound like a whole nother nice. person. It sounds awful, but that is the reality. Do you, polo? Do you go to the polo games? No, but you know what it is? I'm such a Gemini. Like we were kind of talking before, like I can like morph. And so it's like, I really have discovered this. Like, I don't know why I haven't, first of all, I need to be in LA for work. It's great. But like living in three different places and like really living is like, this is like the light has gone off for me. Like I should have done this years ago. Really? Like, yes. It's really just perfect for me. That's so that you attribute that to, well, Gemini, but also your personality as well, probably. My personality and like, yeah, it's just, it keeps every place. Like I don't need to move, you know, it's like each, everything is finally yeah. just settled and, yeah. you know, someone's like, well, like today, like this week I had to be in LA. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to get on an airplane with like a light little bag and fly before I would have been like, what do you mean? I have to go to LA. When's that going to happen? Oh my God. And it's just, right. it, it makes right. life easier. Well, I asked because I had an apartment in New York my career started pretty soon. I mean, I didn't even get to finish UCLA. You know, I was young. I was still in college. And then I um, tried to go back and get my degree in uh, a couple of times. And that didn't work because I was working. But um, I always thought I would go to New York and do New York, like as an actor. And um, anyway, so I had got an apartment for about a year in New York and I had a place in LA. And I found that unnerving. Like, 
You whenever did. I was there, I wanted to be here. Whenever I'm here, I thought, what am I missing in New York? And I just was like, it was convenient because that's when I met my husband, my now husband, and I was shooting in North Carolina, One Tree Hill. And so they would fly me in and out of shooting One Tree Hill. And um, because I had my apartment in New York, they would just fly me into LaGuardia. And then I was, so I was seeing him, but then also it was just close and I could be on the East coast and then they'd fly me right back as it was just more convenient, but I didn't keep it. Um, it just felt, I was split into, and I don't, I'm not a Gemini, you know, I just was like, I want to be here. I'm getting into here. I'm going to go, if I'm in LA, I'm hiking, I'm going to the farmer's market. I'm like, whatever, doing my meditation, seeing my girlfriends, you know, and then um, if I'm doing it in New York, I'm doing something totally different. And I love them both. I love New York. They're both good, right? Well, I mean, you know, you have to have some Joe in you still, right? Yeah. But speaking of Joe, listen, I mean, you know, she was kidnapped. She was tortured. She was held at gunpoint. You know, she tried to kill someone. She did kill someone. She was on trial. She had a baby. The baby was kidnapped. Like, she went through a lot. This was Melrose, but... Was there ever like a storyline where you're just like, no, this jumps the shark. It's too much, even for Melrose. Um, so you put it into context, we're all reading scripts like that. And, you know, you'd get the next week's script. And yes, I would think, what? What? And then I also would think, oh, good. I get to do these scenes. Like, they're so dramatic. You know, like I was just you get into the zone of doing that kind of drama stuff. So part of me would just be like, I'm going to go be kidnapped and then duct tape and thrown into a hole in the boat. And then then a couple, the next episode, I'll get to like blow him away. And then like, oh, but I'm pregnant. Oh, and then I have a dramatic thing, like escaping a cabin. And then, you know, it it's just like the acting part of me, like was like, bring it on, you know? And then, but then of course I also was like, is this a little much? It was a lot to, you know, here in hindsight, I look back, I just go, wow, she attracted really shitty men. Like why, why don't you just keep it with Jake and then just like stay, stare, stay the course with a good guy, you know? You guys know I'm on a health kick and one of the key ingredients to a health kick is drinking tons of water to stay hydrated every day. Now, if you're like me, you probably don't trust tap water. And that's why I turn to, and you need to turn to AquaTrue. AquaTrue's water purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. They have water purifiers to fit every type of home. Their countertop purifiers require no installation or plumbing. I love that. That's what I have. They have under the sink options and even have a Wi-Fi connected purifier. How cool is that? I also use AquaTrue for my coffee all day, tea, and you can use it for any of your cooking needs. So listen, AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. Today, my listeners receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code VELVET at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use code VELVET. V-E-L-V-E-T. Remember how on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills the other week, Kyle says she loves to shop 24 hours and she's always online doing so? Well, I have to tell you, I'm literally as bad as Kyle Richards. However, I don't shop ever online unless I go to Rakuten. As a member of Rakuten, I earn cash back literally on everything I buy. Rakuten is a shopping platform that partners with over 3,500 stores across every category. Beauty, clothing, electronics, home, department stores, pets. You're already shopping at your favorite store, so why not save money while doing so? Sephora, Macy's, Ulta, Adidas, Petco, Expedia, Best Buy. They're all on Rakuten. I just got myself a great new winter jacket at Neiman Marcus, and I got 12% cash back by going through Rakuten to buy this. That's 12% cash back for a jacket that I was going to buy anyway. So what are you waiting for? Go to Rakuten.com and start saving today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N.com. Did you know that when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all? Don't search match with Indeed. If you hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform that has a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You guys know I hate to waste time. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging. Before I had Indeed, when I hired for this podcast, it was a disaster. It took me hours and hours to go through resumes, only to find that I couldn't find anyone even remotely qualified. The editors, PR, advertising, marketing, ad sales people, all the people involved in this podcast I found through Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. And Good news. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash velvet. Just go to indeed.com slash velvet right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash velvet. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You take my breath away. I spent the last 15 years of my life fighting like hell to make sure that I never ended up here. But then, I met her. The name's Anna. Hey, Anna. I'm Nico. Didn't realize you were a professional musician. From Interval Presents, a new romantic thriller podcast starring Jason Derulo and Alexandra Shipp. There's something about you that I haven't been able to look away from. Nico, we don't even know each other. There's no turning back if we do this. I've already made my decision. This is what happens when you don't follow orders, Nicholas. No! Listen to Underwater wherever you get your podcasts. Just stay the course. Did you learn anything from that just because it was your first TV gig? Uh, well, I learned a lot about, um, about shooting under a time pressure and learning those lines. And, um, I know in the beginning, because I wasn't used to the schedule, TV shoots about eight pages a day. So, um, that's just a eight, nine, sometimes 10. Now it's, that's more like I do when I go off and do a movie or something, it's, but eight was a lot. Eight's a lot. Eight to nine, I think. I think. Anyway, what it means is you don't like, you know, stay in your trailer and get into character and then like you'll, you know, and then there's time and then you're still waiting. No, it means like you change, you go do your new makeup, you get change into your new thing. You make sure you know these lines and you get to set because they're going to block it, light it and then go. And they're usually waiting for you. So it's so fast. So I got to see the craft from a different point of view. I got to see it as what's important here isn't necessarily what's important if you're doing a play or what you're doing in a film and a studio film versus an indie film. Like they all have different things you have to nail. And it's kind of like the center of what's going to make it successful. So that was speed. And I learned to like, um, and also with like moving around, you want to be natural with your movements, but you know, there's a frame, there's a close-up. like, so on TV, they they'll do like a wide shot and that's when you want to get your movement in, but you can't be moving around if they're like this, because you're just getting people like nauseous who are watching it and the, and the camera guys are going crazy. So there are things that I learned from doing it, um, from doing that show for those many years, for sure. Just like there were things when I didn't my first indie film and my first studio film. Um, yeah, for sure. Did you ever have, cause like at its height, Melrose was, like you said, you guys were everywhere. I mean, you, know, you go to these conventions. Yes. Most people want to talk about Princess Vespa. I mean, you have a lot of different things that are so iconic to people. Like, do you have like just a crazy fan story? I mean, either scary or just over the top. I mean, like some fan has sent you, I once had someone say they sent this person like a live cat. Like it was just literally like, I'm gifting you a cat. And they're like, I don't really want a cat. I mean, this is a strange gift to get to someone. Like you just have like a crazy fan story from over wow, the years. I've never been sent a cat and I don't ever want to be sent a cat. No, thanks. I'm, 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 I don't neither. like to be sent anything, frankly. Like I like the days where there was like a, you know, just some space. <laughs> but what I love about the cons is that for that period of time, you're just, you're just talking to each other. You're talking to the fans. You get to interact. It's, it's also fast. You know, I mean, 
but I tend to have time in between mine. And mine lines aren't always like, you know, long and like last time I did it, it was next to Joe Esposito, who's a friend and like from Mandalorian, his line is at the door. Cause like there's, you know, a lot of, anyway, the, the fans, so he doesn't have any time to, you know, interact, but I really like being um, face-to-face and just talking with hearing the different stories. Um, I no, I'm just, you're kind of, I wouldn't say average. I'd say, to see your face as Princess Vespa tattooed the size of a melon on somebody's leg was pretty, is that my face? <laughs> so that was, um, oh, it was this guy and his last name was Schwartz. May the Schwartz be with you. And like he had Spaceballs, different characters uh, tattooed on him, which I, I was like, wow, that's that's a commitment and that's a love for a show, you know? Um but for the most part, I really, you know, just enjoyed my interaction with fans and I haven't had anything really crazy like that. Did you ever have like some really, you know, famous celebrity come up to you, maybe like a Brad Pitt or just give me like an example where they're just like, I have to tell you, I'm a huge Melrose fan. And you're just like, you know, like a George, like someone you would just never expect to like, just get down. Like I'm a Melrose fan, you know, I'm like a gay man of a certain age. I don't think it's that shocking right. that I'm a Melrose <laughs> fan. But where you're like, really, I never would have expected I don't remember. This. You know, the thing is, like, I don't know. That's where my memory sucks. I do remember being in Washington, D.C. at one of the. Um, the uh, conventions. What do you, the, not the convention, but at the at the D.C. The dinner, the big dinner that everyone has. The. This is my middle aged brain. I'm, I'm, I'm my brain is. I'm, but at I any rate, anyway, I do remember like being shocked that politicians and policymakers and like important people um loved Melrose Place and I'm thinking like when do you have time to watch Melrose Place but yeah everyone I mean my favorite and then if like someone you know well-known comes up or something they don't always say it I guess but yeah I've had that for sure I just don't remember the specifics like when Brad I met Brad Pitt once years and years it was I think it was maybe even before Melrose, I don't remember, but I was just like, wow, you're taller than I thought you'd be, you know, but it was, it was kind of in the context of, I just feel like we're actors. You know what I mean? I just feel like we're actors. And and, and back in the beginning, when you're all kind of like starting out now, you know, some are like award-winning and mega stars. And, and so it feels a little like, oh, do I say hi or anything? But back when you're all starting out, it's kind of like just you know, how you doing kind of thing. And I, um, which I have an affinity for, and I, and I, and I have a respect for people who I knew or crossed paths with back when we were all starting out and, and what they've done with their careers. And it's not an easy business. And if you, I mean, even for myself, I pat myself on my back while my manager says, you know, you know, uh, and, and my husband, he's so supportive, you know, you really have to, you're still in it. You know what I mean? You're still doing this on whatever level. I mean, it's not easy. And so for anyone um, that's like hugely famous, there's a lot that goes with it that people don't know about, you know, and you, and you, I, I think that there's just this on so many levels on a psych psychological level, on a, energy level on a, you know, people wanting things, all of it, you know, you don't just get to be yourself kind of like one person in the room. You're like now, uh, this thing, I, I started a documentary years ago about fame. Cause I just thought it's, it's just such a interesting topic to me psychologically and, and, uh, spiritually and mentally, you know, it is literally, I mean, we can do another podcast. I, I it literally, it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I totally understand. I'm so, I think just Justine Bateman wrote a book on it. I Did think she? it was, yeah, I think it was called fame. It was all about it. Literally everything you just said, basically, mm. I, I'm pretty sure it was called fame. I, I read it. I just can't remember what it was called, but I'm so, I agree. It's a, such yeah. an interesting topic of like, we're all just humans. You're a human. It's the same person. Everyone does just want to have an interaction of like human to human. And then it just, and yet all... there is a thing in the room. There's a, and yet there's, it's 
famous to me, it's like, it's contextual, like it's context. So like, um, you know, so I experienced a little bit of it on Melrose or, or those things that I've done that, you know, get a lot of attention. It's like me in the context of Melrose place, that's it. So if I'm not happy with that, then I'm going to be unhappy because it's Joe or it's Daphne doing the show. If you just see Daphne, like in her sweats on the side of, you know, like, well, except for you, David, you might be like, Oh, hi, how are you? <laughs> Come to my show. But I'm just saying, you know, it's very in the context, the fans love you in that context, period. Then when you're outside of that, that's another story. They still may love you, respect you or, or, or not. But if you're going to really be yourself, you know, it just becomes the jury's out until they decide what they think then. Yeah. But I think people, when you're on the inside of it, you forget that or you think, oh, oh my God, they love me or they appreciate me or whatever. But you don't put that together, then, um, you know, that's going to be harsh reality for somebody. That's what I learned. I've learned that for sure in the, you know, after all these years. And do you like, do you think that's the best advice or like just the biggest misconception of the business of like, don't lose yourself in the business or remember who you are and don't believe all the hype? Um, I would say this, I would say like, it's a duality. It's a, it's both. I would say do both. I would say like, appreciate it. You're on a private plane, even though the climate crisis, climate crisis, um, you should limit your private jet experiences unless you plant some trees or do, anyway we can get it we'll do a whole nother thing on uh, do two whole other podcasts but um so i would say appreciate it uh this stardust whatever it is and the things that come to you because of it um and just enjoy it and also i would say don't freak out when the lights go down and you're and the the velvet rope is gone and everybody when everyone's gone and you're still you. So I feel like people of those two things, people probably have to work on the second more than the first. Okay. Because the first is very appealing and attractive. And but if you get addicted to it and you don't forget that, okay, how am I right here, right now? And and, you know, life is long. Do I still want to do it? Do I still want to play the game? Do I still want to like try to keep up appearances and meet all these standards? And, you know, some people don't, they just want to like have their damn life and live in the Valley or get a farm or whatever, even though they were a huge TV star or film star and like, it's your life. So do what you want, but whatever you choose to do, I would just say like, you still are, you still have value when the lights are gone and when the audience is gone, you still have value as a human being, just like everybody does. And so don't, don't put so much value in all of your value and in your success and in your work and your hits, because, you know, it's the same thing. One minute Melrose everywhere, the never, the next minute it's like, where are they now? So it's just, it's all there. And I feel like, um, when you do it for long enough, if you're in this business long enough or any business, you realize it's all going to come and go, period. There's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, what, what ignites you now? What's, you know, what, like, so that's kind of, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying, Yeah, but, but it's it, very, I think it's real important. It's good advice. And I think sometimes you just have to go through the whole trajectory of it, but I totally agree. And yeah, I totally agree. And it's also, look, it's hard work and like no one gets just, I mean, you work at it, but you're also yeah. putting your happiness in someone else's hands because you're not a studio, you're not running. So it's like your success or not success is really now, it's like a strange fucked up dichotomy that your whole happiness is now not even in your own control. It's truly in someone else's control. That's never yeah. going to end well for anyone ever. So you have to not, Yes. So the, that, that ultimate control on what jobs you get or, you know, that's, that's out of your hands, but you, you have control. Like I was always doing something creative in between my stuff, or I would go nuts. I was taking writing classes. I was taking sculpting classes. I was, 
I did drawing classes. I did, um, you, if you're a creative person, you have got to find an outlet and just fall in love with the process of doing it. And I just feel like we're all creative people and culture doesn't even lead you to the place. If you can find a place, seek it out. First of all, ask, ask people, ask higher self, ask the universe, look, ask Google for outlets for that kind of creativity and, and do it, lose yourself in it. In fact, I love doing my sculpting class. I went to France, lived there for a month and did sculpting. And it was the most, I will never forget that because I didn't have to be good. No one knew me. No one, I had never taken sculpting. I can, I could suck at it and that would be fine. It was just about the process of it. It was about having croissants in the morning in this little village. It was about riding my bike through sunflowers where probably Van Gogh painted. It was, you know, all because I didn't have to be good at it. You know, no one was going to measure me. So yeah. I feel like that's really important to, for any artist, especially these young ones now, if, if they're listening and if anyone asks that's what I would say, like find an outlet, not because you're not going to make it in this acting or whatever it is you want to do, but because you can make it and do that. You can, it feeds it and it gives you a groundedness to your, to your, it gives you a groundedness and a reality. Listen, when I was young, you could have told me all that. I'd be like, oh, whatever, you know, like my, when I went did my sculpting, it was 10 years in, right. It was in the early nineties. So it, it, but since then I've just, I've learned, I got to do stuff. Yeah. Inside of this. Were you ever like almost in the mix for a part, you know, like where, you know, where you got far, you just auditioned where we're like, oh, you know, that's Julia Roberts and pretty woman. It could have been Daphne, like something like that. Were you ever in the mix? Yeah, I was, I was up for Top Gun. It was, I tested for Top Gun, like for a week. I worked with Tom on it. I, it was um, me, Demi Moore and Kelly McGillis who got the part. And um you know, I went to the library, I looked at, I, you know, cause you had to go back to the library. You had to go to the library back then. You didn't have it at your desktop, you know, like Google, look up, um, flight instructor, you know, F1, F14s. Um, and you know, I just worked on that a lot and, uh, was disappointed that I didn't get that of course. But, um, I mean, I was, I've auditioned for a ton of things that I didn't get for sure. I loved Agnes of God and I met with Norman Jewison and that went to Meg Tilly, who was brilliant in it. Um, but those are a couple of the early ones. Do you get over things like that quickly? Just like, okay, you know, whatever's meant to be, you know, it just, that wasn't my part, you know, it was someone else's. No, I do now. I do now. Uh, um, yeah, I do now. And it comes with a little, probably a little F word. Oh God you know, but, um, no, it's hard. It's hard because it's emotional. You know, you put a lot of work into it. It's hard for all of us. Every actor, you can ask any actor. I think, I mean, it, it's like, if you don't put every dig down deep and leave it, they say like, leave it on the stage. If you're doing a play or leave it on the floor, leave it in the room. That means pulling whatever you can, pulling up the emotion, the, figuring out the scene to the best you can work with a coach. If whatever it takes, you go in, you do it. If you don't do that, you know, then you, then you have no one to blame if you don't get it. But then if you do all that and you don't get it, it's exhausting and it's devastating. <laughs> and the only thing <laughs> is time. You have to go and, you know, whatever, go have a drink, or three and go get solace from your friends, <clears throat> but it's devastating. Yeah. I mean, I, I could imagine that it is time, time goes by and then, and then there's another one and then you'd go all over again, you know, what was it like working with like that week with Tom Cruise for Top Gun? Um, no, I loved working with, with, um, Tom Cruise on that for like a week or something. I remember bringing him, a box of health food. <laughs> I don't know why I was really into health food back then. I mean, I still am, but I was like, I don't know. I just brought him like, he was very healthy. He was talking about it all back then, you know, and I don't know if he was talking about doing stunts, but he was working out a lot and things like that. And he, so, um, and yeah, he was very, just very 
giving and very excited about it. And you felt like, oh, wow, I'm totally going to get this. Cause he's like, thinks I'm so, you know, like we're, I also kind of knew him a little bit, but um, through other people, but um, then I thought, well, guess it, well, I knew he knew Demi Moore really well. Um, Cause Amelia was a good, they were good friends. So he probably was like that with everyone, you know what I mean? But just really, it was fun. It was just fun, just fun. What was your One Tree Hill experience like? And how is that different than Melrose? Um, well, I mean, it was the same because it was ensemble. So there are a lot of people. So I'm comfortable in that. You know, I'm really comfortable in that. Like the difference between them was, I would say, just my age because I was older and, you know, I wasn't part of like the younger mix that they all were on on uh, One Tree Hill. But and back, Melrose was, you know, all consuming and you're part of the main cast and and here in LA. So it mixed in with your life as opposed to being in a small town in North Carolina. Well, Wilmington isn't a small town. It's a city. It's a small city, I think. Do you think, I mean, I know you were just on the Drama Queens podcast. I mean, so fun. Right? Oh, I love them. Do you think like with all the reboots going on, like is One Tree Hill ready for a reboot? Thanks for tuning in to part one of our chat with the one, the only Daphne Zuniga. And stay tuned for part two. We're going to talk. Listen, she's an actress in Hollywood. She was on Melrose Place with Lisa Rinna. We're about to talk about Lisa Rinna. She knows Garcelle, Denise Richards. We are going to cover it all. So stay tuned for part two of our chat with the one and only Miss Daphne Zuniga. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.